We are so glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much in you and through you, and we would love to hear about it. Would you send us an email at shannon at hectorfirst.com to tell us your story? You can also go online and give to this ministry by going to hectorfirst.com and clicking the Give tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. Uh, it seems like everything is the way it usually works, the way it usually goes. Uh, <sighs> I usually go to Sunday school on Sunday mornings. And this morning, I just I couldn't. Susan walks into my office. She says, what are you doing? What's wrong? I've been struggling all week. You know, I usually, usually I stay ahead, try to stay studied ahead so I can be ready in case something goes wrong and I'm out for the week or whatever. And, but this week, man, the Lord's been just wearing me out over a topic that I am... It's heavy. It's heavy. We always say you'll know where by accident. You're not here by accident this morning. This message is for you. It's for me. Maybe it's for someone that's watching online this morning, but it's fall. The weather's starting to change. The trees are starting to change colors. It's not because of the fall. It's because it's too dry. <laughs> I've got my fall shirt on this morning. And with this time of the year, it's the second day of October. We know that there's a holiday in this month, and we're going to have hometown harvest. We're going to have a big celebration. There's going to be a lot of candy ate. Is it ate or eaten? Or all my teachers in the house, I'm sorry. Our dentist in the house, this is his good month, all the candy that's going to be ate. Fall. It also comes a time when everybody, those that, I don't like to watch scary movies, but you may be one of those that likes to watch scary movies. Now, growing up, our type of scary movie was probably Freddy Krueger or Nightmare on Elm Street and the Hockey Mask. You know, it, if you watch those movies today, that's probably they're probably pretty cheesy. I'm not going to watch those movies. I don't like scary movies. Chucky, those type of things. Nobody likes, well, I know there are some that like scary movies. Scary movies today, that's a whole other level. We, I mean, you, you, I, I almost want to say you ain't saved if you're going to well, allow something like that in your house. I mean, there is some dark stuff. Just scares me. You ever go to the movies and a, and a new scary movie's coming on, the screen's showing the previews, and you're just like closing your eyes or you're scared or you're going to have a nightmare just because you saw the preview. They are that bad. Does anybody like scary movies? No? Anybody? You can be honest. There won't be no judging. Better not be. Kenny Watkins does. Yeah, I see hands. It's all right. Haunted. Growing up, you there was always a place, you know, don't go there, it's haunted, right? It's 
haunted. That's a haunted house. I've been, I've been a part of a few haunted houses in my growing up. And when we were youth pastors here, I'd probably done some things, crazy things. We took a hayride, and we went to, uh, Ken knows what I'm talking about. We took a hayride, and all the youth, and we went to Bow Bluff. And you know that cemetery just past the Bow Bluff where you get to the bridge? You know that cemetery that sits off down? I don't remember the name of that cemetery. the Creek. We took those kids down there, and I had some guys. I don't remember. I don't know if Ken was there, or I think Jason Muncy was. I had some guys. Uh, Trent Henderson was there. I had them already there hiding in that cemetery. And I told the kids I was going to give them something if they would, if they could go all the way through the cemetery and touch the back fence and come back. Of course, I knew they were in there. It was, it was funny. It was funny. It wasn't funny to them, but it was pretty funny. Haunted. Do you ever feel like you're haunted by your past? Haunted by your past. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about haunted by your past. I know there are people that struggle with things that have happened to you or to them in their past. Maybe it's something that happened to you or maybe you um, maybe it's been done to you or maybe uh, you have done to somebody else. But we're going to look at stories within the Scripture of how even though there was a rough past, there was restoration and forgiveness. Those who are haunted by their past in the Scripture, we're going to find how there was hope offered and then there was a way to move forward. You have your Bibles. Turn to Genesis 38. We're not going to read it. In its entirety, you can remain seated. I know we're, I'm running short on time. I've got a lot to say. But we know Genesis 38. I'm just going to kind of give you the overview as we move forward. Before we get into the message this morning, I just want to say you look amazing this morning. Kenny, you look fabulous this morning. I love you. You guys make my day. Thank you for being here this morning. Please remember those that are not feeling well today. We have a lot. I know I don't want to embarrass anybody, but uh, Braden has has uh, hurt her shoulder and. Jackson turned his leg, and we have we have others. I know Kennedy's Diana sent me a message. There was some in their family wasn't feeling good. So please just remember, remember families in our community this morning in our church family. Genesis thirty eight is a story of Judah and Tamar. I always want to pronounce it Spanish Tamar, but it's. Tamar, I think. 
So we have Judah, and Judah is a son of Joseph, not a son of Joseph. He's a brother of Joseph. He's a son of Jacob. And Jacob, or see, here I go. I'm so nervous this morning. I'm telling you, this one is. Judah says he finds a wife. In the Bible, in this in past in chapter eight, it says they it says they have three sons, and it doesn't say they have any daughters, but I'm assuming they do. But it says they have three sons, and there's so much to unpack in this: it, the history of of who his wife was and where she come from, and what was in a part of her life, her culture, and but we're not going to get into that. But Judah marries this woman, and they have three boys. And when the boys get old enough, I'm giving you, I'm, I'm just give, paraphrasing chapter 38, so you can follow along, or you can go back and read it later. The oldest son gets of age to be married, and Jake, Judah goes, and he finds a wife for him, and her name is Tamar. Tamar. And it says that sh- that that his name is Ur. I mean, they, they were really, I mean, his name was E-R, Ur. I mean, that, I mean that's, they got really creative with that name, didn't they? But it says he did evil in the sight of God, and God took his life. Aren't you glad that that's not happening? Well, well, no. He did evil in the eyes of God, and God took him out of this world. In that time, in that tradition, when that happens, if, if, if the son, the oldest son, had not uh, had an heir yet with his wife, then after he dies, he, she is to be given to the next son in line to carry on the lineage, to carry on the name, to carry on the legacy of the previous brother. So the dad took Tamar and he took her to Onan, said, okay, this is your wife. You need to fulfill the lineage of your older brother. Onan didn't like that. This is not going to be my heir. This is going to be my brother's. I'm not going to do this. And so he didn't. And the Lord didn't like that and took him out of the world as well. Judah, can you imagine the dad? I mean, he's pretty upset. He's lost two sons. Now the third son is not old enough to take Tamar as his wife. So Judah comes up with this plan and says, okay, Tamar, you stay in, uh, in mourning. You stay a widow. You remain uh, free from any other men. You stay a part of our family. Remain a widow. You go and live with your family, with your dad and your mom. You go and live over there until my youngest son is of age, and then you all can get married, and then you can fulfill your plan. You can fulfill the legacy. You can fulfill the duty. The culture, the part of the culture, that's what was to happen. So as she leaves and she goes and she lives with her parents, she knows she's counting down the time. The whole time she's dressed as a widow. I don't know. I'm just thinking it's, it's, I'm, this is just me. There's no Bible to back this up. But I'm thinking that she's in black. 
She's mourning the loss of her two husbands. But she's at a level, or she's in a, in, a, in a mode or in a position of expectancy, of waiting, of waiting for her opportunity to fulfill what had been asked of her as a wife. Time goes on. She's counting down the days, I'm sure. She knows that the younger son is of age, and yet she has not heard anything from Judah. She's not heard anything. There's been no plans made for her to marry the youngest son. There's been nothing made. She is stuck in this rut. Have you ever felt stuck? You ever felt stuck? You ever felt stuck knowing that the answer or what you've been asked to do, what you have been commanded to do, or what you've been given the opportunity to do is out there, but yet you are in a place of holding. Can't do anything. Can't move forward. Can't, you, you can't do anything. You are in this place. You are waiting on your next move. Judah has no plans. He's afraid that he's going to lose his last son. He's afraid, so he's making no plans to marry him off to the widow of his two oldest sons. Before we move forward in this story, we need to understand that Tamar is fixing to force Judah to recognize, to recognize his terrible action against the Lord. Ultimately, his, his repentance leads to the restoration, to the restoration of the whole family. The whole family, not just, I'm not going to kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you the, the I'm not going to spill the beans about it all. Not just his own personal family, but something huge, something big. Look, if you're here this morning and, and you're haunted by something in your past, whether it was done to you or whether you done it to someone else, you need to understand it is critical that you respond, that we respond with, uh, with, when that happens, we have to confront our past, approach our past, approach our past sins, confront our past sins like Judah. We must recognize an error. We must recognize the mistakes. We must recognize what's been done and repent. Have to repent. Have to. This story, this story is just is, is just jumped off the, the pages of the Bible uh, this week. I've done try I've tried to study, I've tried to just I've tried to get as much information about this because I do not want it to go misquoted, misunderstood. And if it if you leave confused, then you need to come find me because I do not want you to be confused. One uh, commentation. One commentator says he offers this this great summary of this chapter. He says it like this: It's an inner scene within the story in which Joseph is the prominent figure, and how it relates to Judah 
and his fall in his obligation to his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Let me finish the story. Tamar knows that Judah is coming to town. It's shearing season. They're going to shear the sheep. And it, in that time, in that culture, it was a party. They partied. It was, it was a lot of bad things, immoral things that happened that took place when that season came around. Judah was going to town, and knowing that, Tamar did something that wasn't very good. Wasn't right. She dressed, she removed the, the clothes that, that identified her. This is where we get in trouble. We remove the clothes, we remove the things that identify us as a child or a child of God, or we remove something in our life that identifies us that, that we are where we are, who we are in this moment, and now we're putting on something different to deceive somebody around us. Tamar removes the widow clothes, and she puts on, says she covers her face, covers her head. I don't know what else, but she dresses up like a prostitute. And she knows that Judah is going to be coming into town. He's going to pass by this way, and she is going to seduce him. And she does. And Judah begins to bargain with her. He says, I will give you a young goat. If you'll sleep with me, again, not a very good situation. Not only do we have one that is disguising herself, deceiving herself, deceiving those around her, but now we've got Judah approaching a prostitute, offering a payment. I'll give you a goat. You'll sleep with me. And she says, I will, but I need something more. I need to know that you're going to bring me the payment. You're going to have to give something late, give something up for me so you will come back with your payment. Judah gives him her staff, his staff, his signet ring, knowing that is the, that is the one thing that identifies him as who he is. The signet is something that, you know, you can watch movies and, and kings and there would be, you know, there would be something that he would roll over wax or roll over paper, uh, ink or whatever to know that was authentic. That was Judah's stuff. All of this, all of this junk, all of this, this just gross stuff that's happening and that's taking place. We know that Tamar, she, she, after the fact, she leaves. She puts back on her widow clothes. She goes back home. Three months later, I mean, well, Judah, she, he sends the payment, and they go looking for this prostitute that sits by this place, and, and nobody, they says, there's no prostitute that sits here. Nobody knows anything about this woman. Three months later, he says, well, he just washes his hand. Well, we did what we were supposed to do. Three months later, he gets word that Tamar is pregnant. He's mad. He's furious. He says, go and get her and let's burn her. Let's destroy her. Let's kill her because of a mistake that she made. And on the way, when they went and got her, on the way back to him, she shows what she has. This 
These are the things that belong to the man who did this. Everybody knew it was Judah. Judah knew it was he, he was caught. And what did he say? He said, she is more righteous than I am. And I'm thinking, how can you right two wrongs? How can two wrongs make a right? You know, anybody ever heard that? How can two wrongs make a right? How can somebody do this and somebody do this? Two completely wrong things that we consider sinful. How can it be made right? There are so many things in our culture, in our world today, that we want to say, that is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the gray matter, the gray area in our lives. Is this, we call sin, sin, but yet, well, this is not as bad. Murder is murder, that's a sin. Committing adultery, that's sin, but what about keeping the Sabbath? What about the day of rest? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Do we put less focus and less importance over that than we do anything else? How can two wrongs be made to one right? We know the story. As the commentator, he, began, he continues to write, she's made to marry the eldest. He dies. The next son, she's made to marry him out of obligation. He dies. But Tamar pretends to be a prostitute and tricks Judah into impregnating her. He acknowledges that he'd done wrong, and she has not and then she gives birth to two twins. Another commentator, he made this point. He said, out of the similarities between Genesis 37 and Genesis 38, the first use of the formula was an act of deception, and the second use is the act of unmasking. If we go back to Genesis 37, we know the story of Joseph and how he was sold into slavery his brothers wanted to kill him, but one brother stood up and made the plan to sell him. We'll take the coats. We'll put blood on it. We'll take it back to dad. We'll tell him all of this. We'll deceive. The heart of deceiving came from the one brother, Judah. Judah said, let's not kill him, let his blood be on our hands, but let's sell him. Again, there is deceiving that's happening in the heart of Judah. In chapter 38, it is unmasked. It's made clear. It's made clear. Judah with Tamar and after Judah with his brothers is an exemplary narrative it's an instant that the deceiver becomes deceived. And since he was the one who proposed selling Joseph into slavery instead of killing him, he can easily be thought as the leader of his brothers in the deception against their father. Now, in chapter 38, he becomes the subject to a bizarre retaliation, taking a piece of him his attire. I'm going somewhere. Just hang on just a minute, okay? Taking something from him, the coat of Joseph, back now it's his. It's his cane. It's his walking stick. It's his signet. It's all of these things that were his. 
and learning through his own selfish flesh that the divinely appointed process of election cannot be derailed by humankind or social convention. We know the story of Joseph of how, you know, how dark that may be. The brothers doing what they did to, to eliminate him, all because Joseph had dreams, all because Joseph was dreaming and chasing after God. All because of that, they wanted to get rid of that hope and that, that, that the, the, the dreams that he had because they didn't want to hear it. And, Joseph, and, and, and Judah becomes a part of this grand deception for his own self. But how many of you know that no matter what happens in your life, God's plan is going to find a way to make things happen? How many of you, has anybody ever messed up or is it just me? Have you ever messed up? Have you ever just regretted doing something? Are you haunted by sometimes of, of the things that you messed up in? That you did? I, I, there are times in my life, there's, all it takes is one thing to happen, and those memories come flooding back. It's like, man, I can't believe I've done that. I can't believe I messed up. I can't believe I allowed that to happen. But yet it did. But look at you now. Look at you now. Look where you are right now. Maybe you're going through it. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. Look where you are now. You're in the right place. You are where you need to be to allow God to bring reconciliation and forgiveness into your life. The commentator, he goes on to say a few things about Judah's interaction with Tamar, and he plays a critical role in the transformation of the deceptive brother who sold his brother. But he later becomes a part of the reconciliation that would go on to lead to the greatest thing you've ever known. You say, how can that be? How can God use this situation? How can God use this story and bring something so amazing into our lives? If you go over into Matthew chapter 1 and you begin to look and read the, the lineage of Christ, It says, I think in verse 2, it begins with Judah and Tamar. It doesn't even mention Judah's first wife. It says Judah and Tamar, and they had two sons. They had twins. And Perez was in the lineage of David, and David is in the lineage of Christ. Things don't happen by accident. Sure, we, we mess up. We make mistakes. We go through junk, and we get caught up in looking at, oh, I cannot get through this. I do not want to live in this. I do not want to experience this. I don't want this anymore. But you don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know that what you're going through right now is preparing you for what you need to do tomorrow. We get hung up and we want to be haunted and lived in the past because, oh, I messed up. We've all messed up. We have to make a decision right here, right now, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what's been done to you, or no matter what you've done to somebody else, there has to be a point of reconciliation, acknowledgement that, yeah, I messed up, or, yeah, you messed up, 
There has to be forgiveness and reconciliation. There has to be a movement forward. There has to be something, something that you have to be advancing because if you're not advancing, you're going backwards. You see, God worked through a child in Tamar that was done in a, in a mischievous way in order to achieve the Messiah. Do you get that this morning? Do you understand that no matter how bad you may think you have messed up, God's got a plan to see you through. It's got a plan to see you through. It may not be the exact plan that you think, because we make decisions. We put our roadblocks in our path. We do a lot of stupid stuff. Probably shouldn't say that from the pulpit, but I did. There ain't no other words. You can't fix stupid. But God can. The, mm, the Heavenly Father can. Your mistakes, He can make it right. Acknowledging there's some problems, mistakes. I've messed up. You guys messed up before? Y'all ain't messed up, have you? I'm not trying to single y'all out. You boys made any? These girls ain't made no mistake. Y'all need, no. We've made mistakes. Made mistakes. But acknowledging that when we make mistakes, we have to fix it. We have to fix it. You ever studied for a test? No. Have you ever not studied for a test, recognizing that when you get there to take the test, oh, you failed? Oh, I really messed up. Anybody dreaded to go home? I remember those days dreading to go home. What'd you get? D, F. I remember. And then you have to bust your tail even harder to make it right. Not studying, getting to the test, and then having to cheat. Nobody ever cheated in here. <laughs> y'all hear that little laugh? Nobody cheats. Instead of going and making it right, it's the only way that's going to be reconciled is owning up to a mistake. Maybe, maybe you messed up a project at home. Or at work. Maybe you lost receipts. Anybody ever lost a receipt and your, your significant other says, where's that receipt? Big purchases? Yeah. I have. Well, the dog ate it. I was going down the highway and it flew out of the window. I put it right here. I don't know where it's at. Instead of owning it up, you try, we try to make excuses but instead of owning up to the mistake, instead of owning up to what had been done wrong, has to be some ownership. Some ownership. We're fixing to watch a clip real quick. I know I need to close. This is a motivational clip from a former Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. They challenge people to take extreme ownership of your life. Taking extreme ownership means that you confront criticism, learn from it, and modify your future action 
based on it. Watch this clip. I started recognizing like what works and what doesn't, and but it wasn't really until Task Kid Bruiser. We'd have you know training instructors be like, you guys are the best Task Kid we've ever seen come through here. And it was interesting to me because we have some amazing guys in this Task Kid, but I had amazing guys in my last Task Kid too. So it's not really the talent factor that broke us out. It certainly wasn't that we didn't make mistakes because we made all kinds of mistakes in Task Kid Bruiser and disastrous training operations where we had to come back and revamp our training process and, and, and make sure that we dialed in standard operating procedures. Just what training supposed exactly. to be. Exactly. And right? Exactly. That's the difference, really. Yeah, and that was it. It was it was this idea that we now call extreme ownership, which is we're gonna take ownership of this. And instead of being like, hey, we're gonna push back against people that are telling us we need to be better, or we're gonna maybe even deny that we're as bad as we are, we're gonna take a brutally honest assessment of ourselves. You don't ever tell my guys they're amazing, that's the best one they ever seen. Because that allows us to not get better, to not grow to get close. So we always did that, and I recognized just how powerful that was to our performance. So again, we were never flawless. We always made we made mistakes, but we learned from those mistakes. We got better, we grew all the time, and we were able to run circles around everybody else as a result and, and deliver some exceptional performance on the battlefield with that attitude. And that's that that mindset and attitude is is the game changer. That's why we call the book Extreme Ownership. And it's what we impart to people as, as, we, as we, we see in the business world. And it, there's, at the end of the day, it's what works, and there's what doesn't work. In your business, and it's also in your life, too, what can you do a little bit better? You attack those problems. You accept the criticism when it comes at you, which is so hard for everyone to do, myself included. You accept the criticism. Listen to it. And, and then you modify it. You make these little iterative changes. And at the end, instead of being a decent task or instead of being a decent person or instead of running a decent team you can be the best I want you to be the best I want to be the best but I know that that's going to be impossible if I'm not making mistakes you say that's kind of counterintuitive no it's not because I'm always trying to, to do something better? Can I preach better? Can I study better? Can I put something else in my life that can make me a better pastor, that can make me a better preacher, that can make me a better person, man, husband, father, grandfather, whatever? I've always want something in front of me that will push me because there's something in me that makes mistakes. There's something within you that makes mistakes. I'm not going to choose to be haunted by a mistake that I made. I'm going to allow it to challenge me, to push me, to be a Christian, to be a child of God. Susan and I were listening to a, a podcast, actually his audio book this, yesterday we were going down the road and this, this guy makes this point. I love my wife. I want my wife to make heaven their home. I want that for them. I want to make heaven my home. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to do everything. I need to be thinking about eternity. You need to be thinking about eternity because we go through life and we don't think about it as much as we should. He loves his wife. He loves his family so much. He wants them in eternity. 
You need to be ready for eternity. We can't allow things in our past to haunt us and bring us down and keep us back, keep us back from achieving everything that God has asked of us. Because every single one of us has made mistakes. Every single one of us, we are haunted day in and day out by something that happened to us. We have to stop playing the victim card. Say, yeah, I know this happened. It may be bad, and I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But if I choose to stay in that victim mentality, I will never be what those guys were talking about. I will never be able to modify my life. I will never be able to be the best at what God has called me to do. Why? Because I choose to stay in this place of depression, oppression, victim mentality, heaviness, weakness, feeble. Whatever you want to put, do you think that's what God wants for you? God, God does not, this is not your intended space. You are not to live in a haunted mentality of this is who I am, this is the way it's just going to be, baloney hogwash, whatever you want to say, God has set you free. The Bible says he that, sets, he that is free is free indeed. You can be free from the bondage that holds you in this place. You can take a step and live in the freedom and be the best at everything that God has asked you to be, designed you to be. Can you say this morning that you're, you're fulfilling? Are you doing what God... Can you say... I was created for this. I can tell you this. I was created for this. I was created for this. God chose me. He designed me. He formed me to make me who I am so I could do this today. Are you fulfilling what God has called you to do? It may not be in a, in a pastoral position behind a pulpit, but he's asked you to be a voice. He's asked you to be a disciple who makes disciples. You see, the difference between the stories that we talk about, and I'm closing. Pastor McKenzie, would you come? Hang on with me just a minute. All of this, the way, the reason that if you cheated on a, on a test, you made a mistake. Instead of dealing with the consequences, maybe you cast everything off and you're haunted by that. But the best course of action is always to acknowledge the wrongdoing and make and work work to make everything right. And what you need right now. What you need in response to your mistake is mercy. It's mercy. Any situation, this, this story that we read in, in Genesis 38, all of that that happened, mercy. Mercy. You know what the difference between mercy and grace is? Mercy doesn't give you what you deserve. doesn't give you what you deserve. 
follow some guys on Instagram that are pastors and they, they're preachers, they're evangelists, they go into prisons. Men and women that have committed the most horrendous crimes are giving their life to Christ. How can somebody do that? I'm not going to give them the time of day. When Christ died on the cross, he died for every single person on the face of this earth. Mercy comes in. Mercy doesn't give us what we deserve, but grace gives us what we don't deserve. Love, joy, peace, the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, what God's got is so much better than what you're living in. What God has for you today is so much better than what you're living in. The victim mentality, the, the, the depression, the oppression, the, the heaviness. God, this is not from God. He's got so much better for you. He's got the joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is what? My strength. Peace. The Bible says peace that surpasses what? All understand. Quit trying to figure it out on your own. If you, want the, if you want the smiles, if you want the peace, if you want the joy, whatever you're dealing with, let it go. <laughs> let it go. <laughs> because there's something in this place right here that's holding you back from everything that God has. Tamar was upset. There was an order. There were things that were supposed to happen. And the man in charge, Judah, was not allowing it to happen. But God's plan, she may have been around it the wrong way, but God's plan, are you with me? the junk go let it go I'm going to count to three and if there's something that we talked about or God's been dealing with you and there's something in this part that I've been talking about that's, that God's been dealing with you about I'm going to count to three I want you to come I'm not going to ask anybody to stand when I say three, everybody stands. And if God's dealing with you, I want you to step out and come. Don't stop. Second guess. Don't look around and say, well, if so-and-so will go, I'll go. No, get up, make an effort. Do it. Meet God down here. This is heavy stuff. I know I get it. I'm the one preaching it. says, I've got joy, I've got peace, I've got everything you need. I'll pull you out. 
I'll drag you out. I'll do whatever I need to get you out. So I'm going to count to three. Everybody's going to stand. And if God's dealing with you, if God's been dealing with you, I don't want you to stop and think about it. I just want to make, I just want you to make your way to the front. And we're going to pray. And we're going to believe. This is the last day of junk. This is the last day of this feeling that you have. Because the best is yet to come. I want you to go ahead. I want you to be thinking about eternity so much. So much. That that's all you can think about. You don't have time to think about all this stuff. You're thinking about, oh man, what it's going to be like when I get to heaven, when I get to see my heavenly father face to face. When I get to see my loved ones that have gone on before me, I'm going to get to see this. This is what I'm going to experience. But if we choose to stay over here, is this stuff going to keep me out of heaven? If God didn't create this for you, for God has not given you the spirit of fear, but he has given you the spirit of love, of power, of sound mind. You're not intended to live in this. He doesn't want you to be miserable. He wants you to be free. To be free. On the count of three. God's dealing with you. I want you to come. One, two, three. Stand. Everybody stand. If God's dealing with you, I want you to come to the front. We're going to pray. Don't wait.